Yeah, it's the museum room. The museum room, yeah. Every family. You said museum like Bostoners. You said museum, but it's not, it's museum. It's museum. No, it's not. How do you say Gary? it? Museum. Museum. What? The, the word's museum. <laughs> museum. Nope. Boston. That's your Boston talking. What I'm from Boston. I, it's the same way. Hey, say the word R-O-O-M. Room. Nope. Room. What are you talking about? Uh, Gary? Room. Room. What? Room. Hold it's on. museum and it's room. <laughs> and you are an uncultured Boston <laughs> asshole. <laughs> that is the voice of the great Alex Edelman. It's his third time on the podcast. He is a working out favorite. There's an, there's an arc to his visits, uh, which is his show, which is called Just For Us, that that was honored by the Obie Awards, and we talk about that on the show today. Um, he's going to Broadway this summer, and uh, and you can find out all about it on his website. Um, he's also taking it uh, to Boston, April 11th through 23rd. There's only a few tickets left. It's an incredible show. Um, it's a fascinating story. Uh, which we allude to today. It's basically that he was, Alex is, a, is, is Jewish and he was sort of accidentally invited to sort of a white nationalist meeting on social media. I mean, not him directly. And, and, and in a strange twist, he went to the meeting just to see what would happen. And uh, no spoilers, I don't want to give away what happens, uh, but, but it's a great show. It's called Just For Us. And it's, oh, oh, fantastic. I actually myself just wrapped up a week of shows in Providence, visiting my 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 brother, Joe, my sister Gina, our, our working it out producer Peter. Uh, I was at the Columbus Theater. I love love doing shows there. I'm doing all material, which is so much fun. Which I'm also doing in Indianapolis in May, um, in Philadelphia in June, um, and I keep adding new cities, new shows. Uh, so so stay tuned on burbigs.com. If you just sign up for the mailing list, you will be the first to know about the new material shows. And uh, and stay tuned for, uh, there might be a, an overseas announcement. An overseas announcement about the old man in the pool. I don't want to give away too much, but stay tuned. Um, I really love this chat we have with Alex Edelman today. Alex and I talk about jokes. We both love jokes. We love kids' jokes, joke jokes, street jokes. So many great jokes in the episode. It's almost like just a phone conversation between me and Alex with a very high sound quality. Um, it's always so fun to talk to him. Enjoy my conversation with the great Alex Edelman. We were at the OB Awards, and then they um, they gave all, out all the OB Awards, and you were one of the recipients, but they didn't say your name or play your thank you speech, which they asked you to film on your own. So they didn't, so you weren't sort of acknowledged verbally, mm-hmm. but I think it, it was understood that you won an OB Award. I don't think the guy who asked me afterwards what, I, what, what brought me to the OBs... Uh. A great part of the story, I think, is that you flew in from London because you're yeah, doing I the think shit. So too. You're doing just for us in London, and then you flew in for an award ceremony that where you won an award, but then were completely not acknowledged. And I was sitting next to you, and I'm just going, 
I guess, is it going to be next or is it going to be, and then it's like, and the final award, and it's like, Oh, wow, wow. I guess I didn't. You know what, though? It's um, as long as I can get on Wikipedia in the next few days and just make sure that I'm really on there. Yeah, yeah, part of the, exactly. That's huge. Um, It's interesting, though, because I thought about it this morning when I woke up. I was like, was like, am I glad I came? Yeah. I am. I'm glad I came. So um, you did the show uh, in New York City. Uh, for nine months. Yeah. And it was a massive success, rave reviews. Uh, and then you toured with it. You went to DC. You've gotten to London, Boston. Now you're going to go to Broadway. You're going to go to LA. What surprised you the most? What surprised you the least? People have come up to me after a show in DC at Willie Mammoth and these people are really emotional and they feel seen by the show. And especially in the UK, almost every day, someone would come up to me and British Jews are a tiny minority. They're one of the smallest minorities. There are 300,000 Jews in all of the United Kingdom. I think there are more, or that's- There's more at Zabar's. Yeah, I was gonna say, I just came from Barney Greengrass. There are more there, you know, like there's- So less than 300,000. The same, roughly the same amount as are on the Upper West Side of Manhattan or Upper East and Upper West Side of Manhattan. Are in all of the UK. So they come up very moved and emotional. Wow. But, but when I say that's contextual, people who saw the show when I was running it at the com- at Comedy on State in Madison, one of the best comedy clubs in the country. Yeah. No one's coming up to me after that. It's, a, it's pretty much the same show because it's a comedy show, but no one's coming up to me afterwards being like, hey, I really felt seen. Right. They said, you know, they said there are good people on both sides. <laughs> Hi, I, yeah, I'm from about 50 miles outside of Madison, and I actually sympathized with the other uh, people present in that room. <laughs> good points all around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it's really, but it's really interesting people have, and also comedy fans who, it's, it's, it's weird because I stand outside after every show and talk to anyone who wants to be talked to. This I find astonishing because you do this. Well, I, I want the data. Oh, interesting. So it's selfish. I want, yeah, it's selfish. You're selfish man. <laughs> if you didn't know from the Obies being all of that, <laughs> they honored like they honored like they honored every piece of good theater from the last uh, off Broadway for the last you know three years, and I'm like, but my video didn't get played. But uh, but yeah, it's selfish. But also, it's what I would have wanted when I was younger. I always sought out the comics of the Comedy Connection. I wanted yeah. to know everything about what it's like to be a touring comedian. I sought you out when you came when I was in yeah. high school and you came to record the I think it was my secret public journal at the comedy studio. Yeah, I think that's right. And you know And you sought me out to produce this show. That's right. At, I mean, at when I was at the Amundsen like four years ago, it's kind of a strange story. I think this is worth telling cracking people. open. Because yeah. I think it's something I admire about you as an artist and is worth like noting, which is you approached me like four years ago. When I was at the Amundsen Theater, and you were and and you were like, "This is what I do. I do my shows in Edinburgh. I do this. I do this." I go, "What was your your last show?" And you sort of pitched me the logline of your show, and I was like, "Well, that's not your last show. That's your next show," because I hadn't heard of it, and I was like, "That that would be that show should be massive. That's a great story. That's a phenomenal. It's like a showstopper story." And so we embarked on like a very loose collaboration over the course of a couple of years, and then as projects do sometimes, it heated up closer to 
theater, yeah. theater's opening up and okay, let's give this a shot. And then it, it sort of was a runaway hit. But I think that the key thing is a lot of artists, if you say to them, that's not your last show, that's your next show, they go, no, 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 I, I got it. I'm working on the next thing. I'm that's in the past, and they're and they don't want to work on something that they feel is done. But I, I this is a personal opinion. I don't think and people can disagree with me. I don't think anything's ever done. Like I'm done with old man, the old man in the pool. But if somebody said to me, like I have an I, I have a thought on doing a rewrite in the, of you doing a rewrite in this way. I would go, if I respected the person, I would go, let me give that some thought. I wouldn't necessarily do it, but I'd give it some thought. It's also the work is not, I said to you something a few weeks ago, we were discussing a person. I said, there are three layers to a person. There's the layer that they present to the world. There's who you are once you get to know, who they are once you get to know them. And the third layer is who they are at their core. And so stand-up comedy can be an exploration of the third layer in front of everybody mm. and like, it's beautiful because you get to sort of light yourself up in front of other people. It's a it's a journey of self discovery that other people pay to watch and you get money for. Yeah, long form. So like, if someone said if to you, it, if it works, yeah, if it works. But even if it doesn't, <laughs> you learn from that too, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, sure. Like someone at the Obies quoted Jay Z saying, "I learn a lot from failure." And I was like, you know, that's true as a comedian, right? When yeah. you're a comic, it sucks, but like you go on stage and you bomb. You do learn more from that than a joke you know has worked for five years, right? Like you yeah. learn way more from trying a new bit. You should do a podcast about this type of thing. You know, like, yes, yeah. exactly. But like, um, I think especially if someone says to me, "Hey, that thing that you do—that's an exploration of yourself." Yeah, I'm an expert in that medium, and I think maybe you're not done with it. Yeah, then it would be literally avoidant for yeah. me to not. But I'm not going to take the advice of someone who's really good at a craft that I'm interested in, saying, yeah. "Hey, maybe you're only half finished with that thing." We're like, yeah, "Okay, yes." Please tell me. Another way to look at it is, and I've said this to a handful of people over the years, other comics and, and myself, is like, if any of us, comedians, artists, writers, if any of us create anything, a special five minutes of comedy, a joke that endures 20 years, one thing, one special, one movie, one book, one whatever. That's if it, it. goes yeah. 20 years, that will be a shock. That will be against the odds. So the idea that you would take something and go, well, no, I'm done with that. No matter, you know, I'm just done with that, whatever. It's not always the best decision. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. This is why I struggle sometimes about putting my material on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I'm like, you know, I worked hard for this. I worked hard for these jokes. Yeah. Even that crowd work. I worked hard for that crowd work. Yeah. I worked hard for I worked hard for the skills behind that, for the approach. Yeah. The And now Mark Zuckerberg owns it. Yeah. It's not free. It's not free. <laughs> but I watch a lot of it. I watch a lot of my friends who put up great content on Instagram and love the stuff. And I love it. I also, by the way, I follow more comedians probably than most people. So it's yeah. like it's like my whole feed is that. Yeah, I and know. And so maybe I think that that the that it's a buyer's market on it, but yeah. maybe it's just that. I'm in I'm in the I'm in the marketplace. But um but yeah, I think that that comedy that shows should be tended to like a garden until, you know, they reach a logical they reach a logical conclusion. But also like also I'm still a young artist. I don't know that I'm gonna be able to 
maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this again. No. I'm not going to be able to do something that like people come out of having laughed a lot and felt moved by. Like that's not something I take for granted. Like that's not something that, you know, I think my work will always be pretty okay because I'm going to be getting more experience as a comedian, but I don't know that I'll be like, that I'll be doing stuff that's sort of in the right place at the right time yeah. based on where, you know, based on where the world is. Like the show is accidentally, but I guess on purpose about Ashkenazi Jews and their relationship to whiteness in a moment that people are really, you know, interested in identity. And yeah. so obviously it's not just Jews that enjoy that. Like people who love comedy, like the reaction of comedy fans has been its own like gorgeous thing. And just, and like after the shows, I have great discussions about Judaism, but I have great discussions about religion and I have great discussions about comedy and theater. Yeah. And it's like really, I think people have never been more engaged with comedy, but like, I think I'm at an interesting place in an interesting time, and I think I owe it to. I don't owe anything. I don't want to be like I owe it to myself, but like, I'm, it's nice to be in a moment where I get to sort of experience and enjoy enjoy that at a high level. So I think we all we all have that. Like the old man in the pool, I think struck a moment in that people are thinking about mortality more because of what's happened in the last three years. A thousand percent. And I think that like some also when I say accidentally on purpose, I say accidentally because of how the world is and how we exist within that world and on purpose given that part partially I hate whenever comedians are like our job is to do x y and z but I think comedians are partial can partially be weather vanes right they they can point at the direction that that things are things are blowing in and and I think that in some ways like the shows that I've done that my first show was called millennial right before people really knew what the word was. Yeah. And I benefited a lot from that because people were actually starting to be curious about the differences between various generations. Yeah. But I was one, you know, but the reason that happened because I was curious about that as well. And so like, I think a lot of your work that has struck a chord, like the new one, a lot of people, like a lot of people from your generation of people, your audience that has grown with you since discovering you and watching you progress, they're having kids. Yeah. Last time you were on the show, you told a kid's joke. People adored. How many kids jokes do you know by heart? That might be the only one, but also depends if how comfortable you are with certain, like, I have a joke that I think is a kid's joke that other people don't think is a kid's joke. It's oh, I think you're good. The parrot joke? Do you know the parrot joke? Hey, lady, you're ugly. No, go ahead. Go ahead and say it. <laughs> this woman walks to work every day by a pet store, and the parrot goes, hey, lady, you're ugly. And the lady goes, what? And the parrot says, you're really ugly. I really hate having a look at you. The woman goes to work. And the same home, Paris is the same way home, Paris is the same thing. Hey, lady, you're ugly. I can't believe I have to look at you. You know, same thing for days. And the woman goes in the pet store at some point and complains, and the owner says, I'll take care of it. She leaves, and he grabs the parrot. He's like, you ever talk that way to a customer again? I will cut you up. I will feed you to the cats. Do you understand me? And the parrot's like, oh, yeah. So the next day, his lady's walking to work, and the parrot goes, hey, lady. And the lady goes, what? And the parrot goes, you know. <laughs> it's so good. It's a great joke. Well, I think kids' jokes are fundamentally the simplest form of jokes. Of course. And I think the simplest form of jokes are actually a good form to revisit mm. when you're looking at jokes. There's also... Like why, like, why is that joke funny? The joke's... 
I mean, I think the joke is funny because it speaks to uh, language, Mm -hmm. which is to say it's not the words that are indicating precisely what the meaning is. Sometimes it's a thousand different ways that you could indicate the same meaning. That's what I get from it. What do you oh, get? What do you get from it? I think it's, um, I think it's just a really like what all jokes are, which is a classic underscoring of surprise. Mm-hmm. And anything that's a, I think all great jokes have a surprise at the end. Yeah. There is no. Oh yeah, all all great jokes, all great stories. I always say that that's what stories and jokes have in common. J- jokes are just mini teeny storylets. My friend PJ says that the first joke we ever hear is peekaboo and everything after <laughs> and every joke after that. Peekaboo is amazing. Peekaboo. It crushes huge. with children. Oh. Nothing peek-a-boo. kills like peekaboo. The oh, babies. Yeah. You're like, "Oh my god, this is so good. This is destroying." But I also have jokes that that there's a I love jokes that are Do you know the joke about the widow? <laughs> there's this widow and she's sitting at the front of a funeral. Um, of her husband's funeral and this guy comes in the back and no one knows who he is and he says, can I say a quick word to the widow? They say, of course. And he walks up to the widow and he goes, and now whatever, now there are like 10 different things that can happen here. Mm-hmm. There, I think I've come up with 10. And sometimes when I'm alone, I'll think of them, but my favorite is the guy walks up to the widow and he says, plethora. And she goes, thanks. That means a lot. That's funny. <laughs> But also there are so many different guys. Yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. also the guy goes up and he says, bargain. She goes, thanks. That means a great deal. <laughs> oh, that's good. And there, and oh, so I, I love that. And I have friends that will text me sometimes. The Sklar brothers occasionally text me with them. Um, there's also, and sometimes they're nonsense. Like someone, um, one of them was Waterhole. Yeah. Someone, and she says, thanks. I, I know you mean well. Oh, that's nice. But some of I mean these and these go up and down based on what they're Is this like an old oldest time like street joke? I have no idea. I, I can't remember even who told me, but I've known it for years and years. But Well my friend so my friend Henry Phillips, when we were on tour. Oh, I love Henry Phillips. He's brilliant. So Henry Henry, when we were killing time, like on a tour bus, he would do this. It's like an oldest time joke that a friend of his taught him, which is like so I went, uh, I went clothes shopping in the state next to New York. Uh, New Jersey, New Jersey's yeah. new shirts, new pants, yeah. new underwear. Yeah. I got I everything. You know? As soon as, as soon as you, I was like, this is part of the. It's like the when kids hit you with a knock knock joke. Oh, love it! But you know, there's an interruption coming. Yeah, yeah. If a kid hits you with a knock knock, and you're like, and you're like, who's there? And the kids like interrupting cow isn't part of you like. I'm an adult. You're about to hit me with a thing I've been hit with a thousand times before, and your delivery is not going to be. And every time I do it, there is joy still. And then, and then, literally, I'm just, I'm literally just doing them from memory. But it's like my wife and I went on a trip up to that state where uh, Portland is in uh, uh, Maine. Ma- mainly as a vacation, but it was, <laughs> it was also work. You know, we wrote. We had a good time at the beach, and um, it's a it's a quaint town, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the key to it, you know, Henry Phillips always says this too, is like the key to it is it's the filling out of the joke. Oh yeah. Of so course. the pun is the jumping off point. Of course. And I think it's I actually think it's like an old vaudeville joke. Is like 
the, 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 the main New Jersey is the jumping off point for basically you to say, you know, we're going to ma- mainly, you know, to, to vacation, but we're going to write. We're going to, yeah, you know, we, lo- we like to, Una likes to knit sometimes. So we we're going to bring a sewing machine, you know, whatever the thing because, is. Because the person listening to you is like, you already did it. You already did this thing for me and you're going to do it again. And this isn't a, but it's gravy, right? Like those, like uh, what you're talking about is if you know what you're getting already, then the extra bit is supposed to be, you you know Norm's moth joke, which is oh, my favorite really, joke ever. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a great joke in there where like the setup for Norm's moth joke is moth walks into a, a podiatrist's office and the podiatrist says, hey, moth, what's the problem? And the moth does this long Russian novel. What's the problem? Where, where do I begin? I go to work every day. I go to work and, you know, like, and Norm would always do it different. And then at the end, the, psychi- the the podiatrist goes, wow, Moth, you are troubled, but you need a psychiatrist. I'm a podiatrist. Why'd you come in here? And the Moth goes, oh, your light was on. The light was on. And you yeah, know yeah. it's going somewhere, but Norm used to drop in this thing, and I've seen a di- few different versions of the joke, but he would, when the yeah. Moth was describing his problems, he would say, I feel like a spider, even though I'm a Moth, hanging over a right. pit of eternal flame by a gossamer thing, and like, the little aside within the joke of, I feel like a spider, even though I'm a moth. Yeah. Hanging over it. Like, it is funny. It's outside of the, you Well, it's know. bringing your, per, your own personality to, like, an age-old joke paradigm. Exactly. And when yeah. I do the parrot joke, the joke I just said about, like, hey, lady, you're ugly, the parrot's description of the woman's ugliness is always part of it. Mm-hmm. And it's always creative. And the woman's complaint is, I've bought stuff here before, and the guy... When he grabs the parrot, he grabs a parrot by the beak and he's like, he said, you know what? You're a mascot for our store. You're in the front of the store. You're the corporate image of our store. You know, like you can do that with any joke. You're still, it's interesting to plus and plus and plus and plus something and see the things that are at their bare bones still there. And also it's the same, we're talking about like how jokes are surprise. Mm -hmm. The parrot joke and the New Jersey and the main joke they're all based on like little mini surprises. Mm-hmm, yeah, of course. And and the surprise is not necessarily what the punchline is, but what the tags are that surround it. Yeah. And the tags are just like you making up stuff that are more are personal to you. But also it's like I have friend I have a friend who's really appropriate. So appropriate in their life that like they're unquestioningly unquestionably good and reasonable and funny. An occasion, and I won't repeat anything they say to me, but once every six months, they'll call me and just launch into a joke that's so offensive. Yeah. But it's only funny because it's them. Yeah. Like, and they know, and, and, it, and they are thinking it's funny because it's me, because I'm going to laugh at the joke from this very pure person yeah. who does a lot for humanity. He's <laughs> about to tell me a joke based on like two ugly ethnic stereotypes. Yeah, like, yeah. It's funny from her, right? In a way that it wouldn't be funny, you know, from like a you know, an edgy high school friend who you don't really ever want to speak to or talk to again, or you know, like. Well, it's funny because I was talking to Veer Das on this podcast, who's a great comic, and I was asking him like, what's the difference between stereotype and generalization? Because mm-hmm. that that because a lot of his jokes really are built around a generalization. Yeah. And he and he had a really good answer. He goes, generalization is funny, but it's in the specificity that it makes it, um, I'm paraphrasing, but but that makes it kind of worthwhile. Sure. Or that makes you trust the narrator. 
I think that's a really brilliant way to put it. But, but, but if you decontextualize that person generalizing, if you just snip it there instead of snipping it here, which is how they wrote it, mm. you can just be like, this person's offensive. But this person is thoughtful. Yes. <laughs> this person's recognized the trend. This person thinks, thinks Indians are only one way. Yeah. But, you know, I also love sometimes that, like, I have a real, people love to tell me they're Jewish jokes. Yeah. Uh, I have heard every single yeah. Jewish joke. I not would a single never one. tell you a Jewish joke. Of course not. Oh my God. There's only one that I love. There's a story about a Jewish guy who goes to a country club and they ask him all these, all these questions and he makes up, they're like, what's your name? And the guy's like, my name is, my name is Christian Dayton third. And he's like, <laughs> and they're like, great. And they're like, one more question. Mr. Dayton, are you Jewish? He goes, no, I'm a guy. And you know, it's like, like those are really, <laughs> I love those jokes because we're like those jokes about assimilation that resonates with me as someone who's constantly been in this like push pull between like, you know, tradition and modernity. And so like, I love that specific joke. Is goy how Jewish people refer to Christians? Yeah, it's a it's <laughs> okay. a sort of uh, my parents' generation I'm, for non-Jews. I have such a no, I I'm so, I have such a blind spot for that. It's so funny because you, well, my wife's Jewish, my daughter's Jewish. You know, it's interesting because I would love to see you one day interrogate not your Judaism because you're not Jewish. Yeah. But like I thought of you as sort of like someone who wasn't in the specific enclave that I grew up with, but I played hockey. I played hockey with someone with people that were from a similar environment and against kids that were from a similar environment yeah. and as you. And you described what I imagined to be very much a sort of like, you know, uh, the, who would go to Old Mill Pond and jump in or, yeah. you know, or visit Kelly's Roast Beef on a Friday night and while, well, you know, I was in synagogue or something like that. And so like, it's interesting to me now that you are, that you're married to Jen and Una's dad, like you're, you're, you're not that far from my enclave. Like, well, one time I went to like a Jewish family event and somebody said to me, uh, well, you know, Jew Judaism is a very open-ended religion. I mean, you don't even have to believe in God. And I was, like, I was like, all right, I'm in. And then I said that, to, then I was in another conversation a couple of years later, I go, yeah, of any of the religions that probably relate most to Judaism, you don't even have to believe in God. The person goes, yeah, you do. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Support for Working Out comes from Aura Frames. We all love taking photos on our phones, right? But there's so many of them. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of photos wasting away in your camera roll. Stop scrolling through so many photos. Start putting them to good use with a unique, stylish digital picture frame from Aura Frames. I got one of them right by my bedside. It's like a slideshow of photos that I really like from my, of my family that sort of scrolls through on this little frame, this little picture frame. I love it. Free unlimited storage. You can add unlimited photos and videos. Invite as many people as you want to a frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees or subscriptions, and it's private. You have complete control over who has access to your frame. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code WIO. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, code 
WIO. Terms and conditions apply. Support for Working It Out comes from Viore. Viore is a clothing company that draws inspiration from the coastal California lifestyle. I was thrilled that they were willing to be a sponsor because I could just talk about how soft and comfortable their clothing is all the time. I mean, I'll read the stuff they told me to say. It's uh, It inspires others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it does that. But also, my experience is it's very, very comfortable. Viore offsets 100% of their carbon footprint. And since 2019... They've also offset 100% of their plastic footprint. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off. Ooh, that's good. Your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable, versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash burbigs. That's viore.com slash burbigs. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping. What? Free shipping. On any U.S. orders over 75 bucks and free returns. That's viore.com slash burbigs. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. We've done Slow Round twice before. So sure. I wanted to just go into jokes. Sure. Because I feel like we're oh you're someone who I bounce jokes off of in real life and you bounce jokes off me in real life and I thought that would be productive use of time. Sure. I do this thing where like I have a joke in real life that I do with if people are tough to break. Um I have this neighbor and I really want to impress them. This neighbor has this dog named Bishop. Yeah. And the first time I met the dog, this is the um I was petting the dog and I said, What's your name? And the owner said, his name's Bishop. And I went, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll look at um, I'll look at the owner and be like, you believe this guy? Or I'll look at the dog and be like, you believe this guy? <laughs> like, and then just, I'll see how long I can carry on the conversation yeah, like with the that. dog. I like that. And with people with a sense of humor, it's great. And it worked with my neighbor. And so now this neighbor and I have a pretty decent rapport. I was in England doing the show and I was walking by someone in the street with a dog. And I was like, I'll play my joke. Yeah. It's a sweet dog sniffing my feet. I went, what's your name? And for some reason, I overcommitted. Yeah. And I screamed. Wow. I wasn't talking to you. And the, and, the, and the person just like froze up as this guy like looking at me because I'm an American. And I was like, and I was like, well, I'm in already. And I said to the dog, I was like, who leave this guy and the guy and the and the owner went he can't. Oh my god! It was on Bermondsey Walk in London. I and I started laughing and I and I explained myself. I was like, I do this all the time at the room. Yeah. I was like, and for whatever reason, maybe because it's cold outside or something, I just yelled that at you way louder than I've ever yelled it at anybody. Yeah. And the guy's like, "What do you do?" And I was and we're chatting. We're like good five minutes. And he's like, "I'll see you later." But so we were talking about comedy a little bit. And then the ne- then that night on stage, I tried it, but it's a joke within a story yeah. about a j- and so like it's just a little too, it's a little too like tangled up for me to. I wonder whether or not, because like you, you know, just for us is based on you going to this an event that you don't belong at and sort of seeing what happens and yeah. then what happens is fascinating. The story about with the dog is something where you're putting yourself in a situation that's potentially very awkward and in this instance, very, very awkward. I wonder, as we become more and more attached to other people in our lives, you have a serious 
girlfriend, I am married and have a child, where when we put ourselves in the situations that are sort of compromising or awkward, that we're actually putting everyone in our orbit in those situations. Because I feel like I don't do it as much anymore because of my family. I don't either because Hannah has asked me not to. I feel like I'm always embarrassing my family in some way, shape, or form. Also, I was, all, I was I'm from Boston. I was raised in a very confrontational road culture. Yeah, like if someone cut What's you off road in, culture. If someone cut you off in traffic, you're like, "Hey, fuck you, buddy." You oh. know, like that's the yeah. sort of. Sorry to curse on the podcast. Hey, fuck but, you, <laughs> buddy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hannah is very, and it's a reflex for me. Yeah. Like if someone cuts me off, I will, you know, like give them a, I'll like stare at them, like, like. Can you believe, you know, like yeah, a real. Yeah, yeah. And Hannah's like, don't do that. Don't do that in my car. Oh, wow. Like that's her thing. Yeah. But Hannah, by the way, is an LA driver kid and just like, Hannah sometimes steers with her knees. Yeah. Like she'll like text and steer. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I, she steers with her knees. I think I have a, I have a joke about this. That's a joke for I sure. I haven't quite, I said, uh, I said, I don't know when I'm going to die, but I do know how I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it'll be my girlfriend texting while driving and receiving a text that's funny or oh annoying enough to kill both of us. Oh, God. So like, look at this cat. Like, it's a, she, I mean, that, all, that has the components of a joke fundamentally, which is, which is, I have road rage and my girlfriend drives sometimes with her knees. Yeah. So we're going to die in a car accident. It's yeah. just a matter of who's driving. Yeah, exactly. And what is, I used to have a joke that never quite worked about, um, I know my last words are going to be, my last words are going to be, and then it would be some variation of like, what are you going to do about it? Or my, because like I had a mouth on me. And Yo, still, me too, for sure. Same, but, we but, have that in common. For but sure. also, some of that's based in insecurity, and some of that is based in. Um, and so, as you get older, part of it is like it's not like you lose your edge; it's just like you become less insecure. And so you're like, well, I guess I don't have to always say the. I had a moment though the other night. I was on the. I was on an elevator with my friend. Um, my friend Phoebe I was at this party, and people were piling into this elevator, and this um, this woman. Uh, she wanted to squeeze on, but it would have required all of us to move. She went, can I get on the elevator? I'm only small. <laughs> okay. And so we all squeeze in and this <laughs> woman gets small. on. And then another woman tried to get on and this woman who had just boarded turned and said, you can't get on, you're too big. Oh. And I said, for Phoebe's benefit and for Catherine Gallagher who was with us, yeah. Catherine, I said, what a metaphor for immigration in the Anglophone world. I don't even get that. It's how they say that some groups of immigrants, once they come here, are weirdly anti-immigrant, especially oh, in the UK. Oh, right. And so the joke, and so like, I don't know Wait, that I would ever- can you say it again though? Can what a metaphor again? for immigration in the Anglophone world, which okay. is like England, yeah, America, yeah, yeah. and Canada. <laughs> but the joke was for Phoebe and Catherine, really. Yeah, yeah. But the woman got it. Yeah. And she went, I'm not being horrible, there's just not. And I was like, no, no, no. And she was like, but that was, a, you know, she's like, but, 
But you made that. Oh my God. Wait, she was offended by it? She got it. I was shocked she got it. She was drunk. It was a party. And I was oh, like, wow. a part of the reason I said it was because That's I thought. That's a good life joke. Joke, joke. I life was like, yeah. In the world. I was like, it won't happen for. And also, it's for two people. It's for yeah. two people who are there. Yeah. Who, uh, who live in England, who understand like the weirdnesses around like yeah. the, you know, a, genera- a generation called the Windrush generation. Like, you need to have done the summer reading for that joke to actually offend you. Yeah. And this woman who I didn't expect to have done the summer reading did the summer reading. It was a weird. When Atsuko Akatsuka was on the show, one of the most astounding things when we talked about her growing up in Los Angeles as an Asian American person is that the most sort of like bullying was from other Asian American kids who wanted yeah. to distance themselves from her. There because is. Because she was more Asian than them and it would out them from their, bull- their being bullied. But that's why I like the joke about those two Jews walking by a church because intra. <laughs> is always funnier to me than inter. Yeah. So, but like, cause that is, that is the reality of most people within an enclave. Like the world doesn't focus on, you know, the world focuses more on inter-denominational de- or inter-religious or inter-ethnic conflicts when the reality of lots of people living in those situations is, you know, is they're trying to get along their everyday life with other people who are inside that enclave. So yeah. there's so there so they deal just as much with those things, or at least that's not that you know that's my experience. Yeah, and there aren't there isn't a lot of comedy about that because you don't want to make the whole group uncomfortable. Yeah. So that is a you know so that's I think an interesting. Well, and it's also like we all we 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 can make jokes about uh, the groups from which we come. You know, I have a, a joke that hasn't made it any, into anything about how when I was a kid. They t- in a Catholic school, they told us God is watching us at all times. And the first thing I thought was like, he's watching me masturbate. And so then I would play to the camera. You know what I mean? Because I, I thought like, if he happened to be looking at the monitor at the moment, I would want him to think like, I've seen a lot of 12 year olds masturbate, but this kid's good. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's so funny. I know. That's not to, in anything? No, I, it might be in the next show. I don't know. I, but, I, it's, but I can only make it because I'm Catholic. I was raised it's Catholic. It's so funny. I think I had a joke. I don't know if it ever went in a solo show where um, one of the kids from Cambridge Ridge in Latin, remember that school, Cambridge Latin, invited me to their school dance. Mm. And I got the cliche, which no one, which I'd only ever seen in a movie, said, leave some room for Jesus. Yeah. At least that's right. And so. From, 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 sorry, for people to bring people up to speed at dances growing up, at Christian Catholic dances, they'd say, leave some room for like the Holy Ghost or yes. whatever between the boy and the girl yes. or whatever. And so I did a joke where I was one of my first shows because I was still very young. And I haven't done the joke in probably like seven, eight, maybe 10 years. But I would say, which way is he facing? <laughs> oh, that's funny. I was going to say, because he wants some too. Yeah. <laughs> Really good. <laughs> it's really funny. Well, you, I mean, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, it's it was also, it only works because I, at the time I looked like I could have been in high school still. So people were like, oh, yeah, I can imagine that kid, you know, having an interaction while he dances with somebody and Jesus is right there, you know, like it's stupid. What else you, what else you got? Oh my God. <laughs> the, uh, this is something that I really sort of enjoy, but it's a, again, it's a half joke, which is like, it's like I'm lucky that I found the person who understands me on the earth more than anyone. I'm lucky. Like I Mm -hmm. get that I'm lucky. I found my wife. That said, on a regular basis, she will stare at me doing an activity for about four seconds. And she'll just say, what are you doing? And I'll explain the activity. And then she'll start laughing to no one. There's no one else there. That's so funny. And it's not with me. 
it's at me to no one. <laughs> and I'll say, what are you laughing about? She'll say nothing. And then that's the end of the conversation. That's the person who understands me the most. So I'm lonely. That's really um, good. It's, really that, it's sort of about loneliness. And I mean, I, it's not done as a joke, but it's like, it's about like this idea of like that loneliness comes in all forms. And like genuinely, like when I'm with Jen, like I really, you know, the, that concept of feeling seen or being seen is like, I really do feel seen. I feel like she really truly does get me more than anyone. I think I get her more than anyone. What would but, it, but yet, and yet, what are you doing? But again, not to be, not to do the same move on this that I did in the other joke, but like, what would it be like if you had someone... How interesting, and I've never seen this happen because I don't know that it exists. What would it be like if you, if your partner understood the weird quirks of your life, but then other people saw it and it was just you two? Like if you were like, if you had to fix a mug with a hammer or something like yeah. that, which is not how you fix a mug. Okay. But your wife has the same way of fixing a mug with a hammer. And two people are like, and someone walks by and sees you doing it and they're like, What's he doing? Yeah. And like, I'm fixing my mug with a hammer. And, I'm like, and you're like, can you leave him? And she's like, damn, he's fixing the mug with a hammer. Like, that would yeah. be two weirdos moving through life. Actually, maybe that's really nice. That's sweet. Yeah, it's really sweet. In some ways, you are two weirdos fixing a mug with a hammer, but in other respects. It really is like. It's about how no one is like anybody else, honestly, if you take it out to bird's eye. That's right. That's, yeah. that's exactly what it is. Yeah. No one is, is it, like anybody else. No one's like anyone else. And even the person who understands you the most actually doesn't fully, fully, fully understand you. And then, and then, and then the extrapolation, I don't have the joke on this, is like the thing that she was watching me do was I was actually, uh, I was unloading the dishwasher uh, even though it had uh, dirty dishes in it. And I was rewashing them and putting them back. And she goes, are you rewashing dishes that I cleaned oh already? Oh, my God. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, why? And I was like, because they're not clean. And she's like, that's what a dishwasher does. That's and I'm so like, funny. that's not how a dishwasher works. Oh, my God. Like, you have to clean the dishes, put them in, because when you close the dishwasher, there's not, like, little cleaning monsters, like, scrubbing the dishes. It's a sterilizing machine. It's not a cleaning machine. Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I actually, I genuinely, I genuinely don't know. But I've, I've done this at the cellar a few times, and it splits the crowd That's because some so people are right. like, "It washes dishes," and some people are like, "It doesn't wash dishes. It's it sterilizes." So I have a, I have an aside that I've been saying that's developed from just for us, but I think it might become its own thing about people's living rooms growing up. Mm. about how as a kid we were never allowed in the living room. It's huge. And it's just like- It's a huge topic. You're, you're hitting major stuff here. I mean, is it? Yeah, because we were never allowed in my living room. I, I, was, I relate to you 100%. The I moment said, you said that. I said the living room is for guests and tragedies. Those are the only times. <laughs> <laughs> That's then the, great. Then You've the, been doing that just for us? It's a little new thing. And, I, and also oh, there's, a, there's, a, great a, line. there's a new line in there and it goes in every- Piece Guests of furniture. Every piece of furniture was covered with like a thick layer of plastic. Yeah, yeah. And then the punchline is either in case the real owners of the home showed up one day, or in case the Smithsonian ever wanted our couch. That's great. I love that. But, the other one, you know, you could you could go. It it was for. Did you go? It was for. It was for guests and tragedies. Okay. 
It was for guests and tragedies. And when we had dead guests, forget about it. <laughs> That's really funny. I said, we, we, came, we came downstairs one day. My parents were sitting in the living room, no guests. And AJ and I are like, Ah, oh, shit, Bubby died again. Oh, that's, yeah, that's yeah. nice. I stopped doing it because it doesn't get a laugh. People get just like, uh, but, you know, like. No, I think the living room thing is really ripe. Like, but it's, some people, sometimes they look at me and people are like, mm-hmm. Some yes. people are looking at me like totally. And I can, but part of me wonders, is it Boston? Is it Jewish? Is it, so, is it like. Well, right, is it a cultural term? Is it socioeconomic having to do with like a middle class that doesn't really exist anymore? Is right, because like, we had the living room and the family room. And the family room was like where you mix it up. And the living room was where you just don't go. That's so funny that you had that relatable thing growing up. Yeah, the living room, there's something about, no, but I think it's, I actually have heard this said by a lot of different people about their growing up, which is not necessarily that it's the living room, but there's a room where you don't touch it. Yeah, it's the museum room. The museum room, yeah. Every family. You said museum like Bostoners. You said museum, but it's not, it's museum. It's museum. No, it's not. How do you say Gary? it? Museum. Museum. What? The, the word's museum. <laughs> museum, because you sound it out. <laughs> museum. Nope. Boston, that's your Boston talking. <laughs> I'm from Boston. I, it's the same way, say the word R-O-O-M. Room. Nope. Room. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, Gary? Room. Room. What? Room. Hold it's on. museum and it's room. <laughs> and you are an uncultured Boston asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, a, so, so basically. And so am I. But there's a room I'm allowed to museum say that has, that has a, There's a room in this museum. Support for Mike Birbiglia's Working It Out comes from Helix Sleep. Helix has been with this podcast from the very beginning. We are huge Helix mattress fans over here. Let me tell you a few things that are great about Helix Sleep mattresses. They are fiberglass free. Unlike other brands, Helix mattresses do not contain fiberglass, which can be harmful to your health, as you may have seen in the news or on social media. There have been a number of health issues and lawsuits related to fiberglass and mattresses. You know, actually, I used to, I used to have a mattress that was pure fiberglass. It was just, it was literally a bed of fiberglass. No longer. I sleep on Helix mattresses, which are fiberglass-free. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash burbigs. That's helixsleep.com slash burbigs. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long with Helix Better sleep starts now. No, now. Hey, friends. This is a little shout-out to my cats, Precious and Mr. Mustache. This ad is, is for them. Those are my two cats. I love my pets. I know you love your pets, too. And today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. They offer customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you and me to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. 
Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO for working it out. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash WIO. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. I saw the word dentist somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I have some dentist stuff. I have a thing. My dentist died. Yeah. And I need, I, I, we've, we've talked about this maybe off, like, I haven't found a new one yet. I really need one. I have a bad, I have a bad, I have a fake tooth and bad teeth generally. And like, I was one of the things I'm most sensitive about about my appearance. But like, I'm getting emails from my dentist on my birthday and like, <laughs> and I get emails still reminding me to come in for a cleaning. They're like, it's been six months since your last cleaning. And they keep doubling and down. And the person's dead. The person's dead, Dr. Wells. <laughs> He's gone. This sweet, this sweet, deeply religious man who is such a gorgeous weirdo who once when I was grinding my teeth he said he said Alex have you tried prayer like he was a he he was so religious Christian he was such a and there were like icons all over the office and I was like mom this is really really and she's like he's the best but like what are we gonna do we're not going to another here's a joke yeah maybe the tag maybe a tag is like um the most frustrating part of this whole thing is thinking about how when you die, you still have to write emails. Ah, yeah. That seems fun. But I want to set up an auto response <laughs> so that when I die, it's just these two things <laughs> until the internet crumbles. <laughs> and just, good to hear from you, Dr. Wells. Good to hear from you. You know, like just oh these God. two things, these two email programs, like the end of like a Lori Moore short story or something. Just these two. Email yeah. addresses. Well, Joe, I did a dental conference and Joe wrote this really funny joke for it, which is, um, he goes, well, we co-wrote his joke, which is basically like, um, I miss my baby teeth. Cause you could really do anything with the baby teeth. They're like, they're like the practice round of teeth. They're like tooth mulligans. Oh my God. Yeah, but when you're, when you're, you got adult teeth, you better take care of them or else you're going to be buying a Porsche and the Porsche isn't going to belong to you. Oh, that's so funny. Um, I have a very flexible accent, depending on the situation I'm in. I was flying back early from Tennessee, and they pulled both my bags for additional uh, scrutiny, and they padded my whole body down. The TSA agent said to me, what's going on with you this morning? And like, like I had done something. I froze up, and I was like, nothing, ma'am. I'm a good man. I'm a Christian man. I'm heading to the aeroplane and I pray the good Lord Jesus will sit next to me and hold my hand if there's turbulence. Now she's really worried. <laughs> it's sort of, and it's based on a seed of truth. Um, do you have any more? Do you have any more? Um, Catherine Graham, you know, Catherine Graham is, she's the editor of the Washington Post. Okay. She's part of the family that owned the Washington Post. Oh, okay. And she wrote a great book called Personal History where she went back and interviewed people from her life as if she was doing a reporting job. Yeah. And she won the Pulitzer for it. But I was reading the book and she interviewed someone who hated her. Yeah. And in the back of the book, 
she says, and you know, I sat down and I asked him, why do you hate me so much? Mm. And you have to imagine that that works best when you're the billionaire publisher of the Washington <laughs> Post. <laughs> if I called someone, I was like, hey, I know you hate me. Would you mind telling me why you hate me? Yeah. Because I'm writing a book about yeah. why you hate me. It'd be like, well, it was three reasons, but now it's four. Yes. Yeah. That's a good, I feel like I like that. Uh, the punchline's good, but I think the setup is like really fascinating. Yeah, I think that the way in is more interesting than the, can, but, I, can yeah. I offer one more? Yeah, please. Attempted a joke before. Yeah. It's, it's small. It's, I resent, I resent certain podcasts hosted by unquestionably famous people. <laughs> <laughs> like Obama and Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I'm like, podcasting is for losers. Uh, I was like, this is for losers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you have like, when you have like three of the most famous people on the planet and they're doing a podcast, I'm like, that's Obama and, and Bruce, like you've won. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing more to, this isn't a podcast, it's a masterclass. No, absolutely. I was like, this isn't, this podcasting is for, there needs to be a cutoff point. Right. Jeff Bezos like, and Mark Zuckerberg can't have a podcast. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like Hillary Clinton uh, was the first woman in the history of the United States of America to win the popular vote for president of the United States. So now she has a podcast. I mean, it's not, it's for <laughs> losers. It's a medium for shabby people. <laughs> Working out for cause. What organization you want to give money to and then we'll link to them in the show notes and I will contribute to them and encourage others to. Mm. Yeah, no, let's we do the Jimmy point. Fund. Oh, okay. Jimmy Fund. Yeah, that's a good one. It's the one I grew up with. I love the Jimmy Fund. It's an unquestioned. It's an easy one to get behind. It's a children's cancer. It's got a long and storied career. They're doing a campaign right now. And so- um, This is the Jimmy Fund. Uh, JimmyFund.org. The Dana-Farber Dana Cancer Institute. Yep. And uh, it's a great organization, and it's uh, it's one that uh, we grew up around uh, in Massachusetts. And it has always had a tight connection to the community. It yeah. was the first charity that anyone hears about when you're when you're um, visiting a certain room in a museum. And so I think that's a. That's very funny. <laughs> I think it, I think that's really a beautiful. Um, Oh, and I and when I was a kid, if I needed extra cash, I would write Jimmy Fund <laughs> on a can, and I would walk around at a baseball game, and you know, That's make so a few funny. bucks. I'm, it's, it's a great amazing. way to earn money locally. And can I say one thing for you to tack on yes. at some point in this episode? Yes, I'm getting to do the show on Broadway. I haven't talked about it to anyone about anyone yet because literally, you know, I'm coming from a logistics conversation about it this morning. But I mean, I'm getting to perform this show that I really love and that you've sort of given a big boost to and 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 have taken a you know a real creative and producerial interest in and I'd be so remiss if I didn't um first of all thank you for it and also thank you for like and the amount of people that have come up to me from this podcast from the first two episodes and Aww. all over the world and now with London to tell me that they heard me on the podcast and to you know ask me a question about something that came up on the podcast or show me a video of their kid telling a joke that from the pot, like it, it really, um, it's been wonderful. And I guess this is the first, I don't, I haven't even formed anything, you know, coherent to say about it yet because it's still like, it's still new to me. Um, and there's always like a one in a like long shot shot that it won't happen now. Cause like all things can fall apart, but like, 
it really is like I am truly gobsmacked. Like it is the craziest, most, you know, it's it's way more salubrious than anything I could have ever imagined. What so. I'll say is this. Take it in because it's never going to happen again. <laughs> Lightning only strikes once. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. They they call they call them one hit wonders for a reason, and this is your one hit. Oh my god, this is my chumba wumba. <laughs> working it out, cause it's not done. We're working it out, cause there's no. That's gonna do it for another episode with the great Alex Edelman going to Broadway. Going to Broadway. Go get your tickets at Alex Edelman Comedy. Com. You can follow him on Instagram at, at Alex Edelman, A-L-E-X-E-D-E-L-M-A-N. It's always so fun to have Alex on, and you, I think you will love his show. I haven't recommended the show to a single person who didn't love it. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Joseph Berbiglia, Peter Salomon, associate producer Mabel Lewis, Consulting producer Seth Barish, assistant producers Gary Simons and Lucy Jones, sound mix by Shub Sarin, supervising engineer Kate Belinsky, special thanks to Mirza Hurwitz and Josh Upfall, as well as David Raphael and Nina Quick. My consigliere, of course, is Mike Berkowitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonov and Bleachers for their music. Always a special thanks to J-Hope Stein. Her book, Little Astronaut, is in bookstores now. She also has some cool stuff on her Instagram that's going to be posting soon. Her Instagram is at jhopestein. Special thanks, as always, to our, our daughter, Una, who built the radio fort made of pillows that began this podcast almost three years ago. We're approaching our 100th episode, which is so exciting. And by the way, thanks a lot to the folks who have written these nice user reviews on Apple Podcasts and rated the show. It really helps us out a lot. It's And it's really helpful, actually, for people searching for podcasts when people write if you write what your favorite episode is, a lot of people said the Tignataro episode. A lot of people said the Roy Wood Jr. episode. We love hearing from you in the comments and in uh, the review section of Apple Podcasts. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. You know, maybe your enemy invites you to a meeting of white nationalists <laughs> and you decide to go not because you're a white nationalist but for the story to find out what might happen if you showed up well while you're at that absurd uh, and insulting meeting you should say hey you know i'm listening to this podcast and it's about it's with comedians they're sort of working out jokes and working out ideas and talking about process i think you might enjoy it. And after they kick you out of the meeting, maybe they will try it. I'll see you next time, everybody. We'll be working it out. Hold up. 